If you have uh, your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Genesis, Old Testament, book of Genesis chapter 46. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4, Genesis 46, uh, 1 through 4. And you know what? I see some of you getting a little weary and tired maybe. Stand, stretch. Let's, let's stand. We're going to pray. And ask the Lord to, uh, to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive the word of the Lord. Again, the text is Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 4. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this time that you've given us. Thank you, Father, for what you're about to do. I believe, Lord, that, that you are calling. God, you are calling. You are calling your people to encourage us. You are calling your people to challenge us. And, Lord, this morning... I believe that this message is for us. I believe that every single one of us can benefit from it. And I believe, Lord, that it is your desire to challenge and encourage your people through your word. And so, Lord, touch us. Move in our church. Move in our people. Move in our families. Move in our kids' church. Uh, move in the lives of those watching this morning. Just have your way, God. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So hearing your name called in everyday life can produce different responses from different people. In fact, depending on the circumstances, after hearing your name, your emotional reaction can sometimes be all over the place. On the one hand, maybe you're just getting off of a plane at a, at a big airport after a very long trip without your family and your eyes start to scan all of the faces in the crowd when all of a sudden you hear the voice of your spouse or your kids calling your name and immediately you are filled with joy. On the other hand, when you're a kid growing up, and out of nowhere, you hear the very loud voice of your mother or your father calling you by your full name. You almost definitely know that you're in big trouble. But this morning, how would you respond if God called your name? Your name. See, last Sunday we mentioned that God often calls a plenty of people by their name, but I've only actually found seven times in the Bible where God actually calls out someone's name twice in a row. And some of you parents, you'll know what I'm talking about, that when you really want your kids to hear it, when you really want your children to get what you're about to say, sometimes you have to repeat yourself. Sometimes you have to make it clear. And so seven times in the Bible, God calls someone's name twice in a row, like Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul, Moses, Moses. And in each and every instance, God wants or demands the attention of the person that he is calling. And so what, it, what follows is almost always a life-changing encounter with, a God, with the God of all creation because he has called your name. Last week, we began exploring the various stories when, when God calls someone's name in our new series, God is Calling. And the first person that we looked at, I mentioned it during our worship time, the first person we looked at was Abraham. See, God had called Abraham to remind him and us, by extension, that God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he must be first in our lives. How many of you know that? That God must be first in our lives. 
In fact, nothing and no one should ever take God's place. And, and that led us uh, during our study last week to seriously consider who or what might be like an Isaac in our everyday lives today that God is calling you and me to sacrifice, to lay down your Isaac. If you recall, God actually tested Abraham by asking him to lay down his Isaac. And, and because we know that as we develop the message, because of his obedience, we know that the Lord returned Isaac to him. And there was a blessing that he received by being willing to immediately surrender, to immediately obey, to immediately do what God was calling him to do. And so Abraham's experience, it, it teaches us that our faith will never be perfect or complete until God is enough. Until God is enough. Or until God holds first place in our hearts and the Lord actually sees his reflection in your face. That should be our goal. Today, the next person that we're going to consider that God is calling by name is actually Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Uh, other translations call him Israel, but Jacob is the name that we're looking at. In this encounter, it actually takes place in our text, Genesis chapter 46, verses 1 through 4. And so let's go to our text this morning, reading the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, So Jacob set out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to God, to the God of his father, Isaac. And during the night, God spoke to him in a vision, Jacob, Jacob, God is calling. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid. To go down to Egypt, for I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. I want to put this vision into context for you this morning as we de develop the study. Jacob is now, Jacob or Israel is now a very old man with children and grandchildren of his own. See, 23 years ago, 11 of his sons, literally, they faked the death of his youngest son, Joseph. They basically just came home one day from out in the fields, holding up and showing everyone a bloody coat, claiming that, that the wild animals had eaten Joseph. The truth is, if you've read the scripture, that because of their jealousy, they actually sold Joseph into slavery. And so Midianite merchants, uh, they bought Joseph and then they sold him at an auction in Egypt. And during the 23 years that followed through God's providence and protection, Joseph went from being a common slave in Potiphar's house to the ruler of all Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Talk about a life in the hands of God. Talk about all things working together for good. That's his story. Meanwhile, we know that there was a famine sweeping across the land that forced Joseph's family to find food in, of all places, Egypt. 
Now after a bit of theatrics and a tearful reunion between the brothers, Joseph mercifully forgives his brothers and reveals to them that he has actually been living in Egypt that whole time. They thought they had crushed him and gotten rid of him and, and, and just put him away from their life and he had been thriving because when God's got a call on your life, God will fulfill it. And that's what he did for Joseph. And next, he, Joseph tells them to go back and get the whole family together, including their father Jacob, and bring them all to Egypt where he and God can provide for them during this famine. And so Joseph's brothers, they, they rush home. They confess everything to their elderly father Jacob. They confess everything to their father. Jacob, now listen, I want you this morning to try and put yourself in Jacob's shoes for a moment. I can't even begin to think about how I would feel if someone told me that a child of mine had been killed. If somebody brought an evil report of that way. And so I, I try to put yourself in Jacob's shoes this morning. He, his sons just admitted to lying about Joseph's death all of those years ago. And not only did they fake Joseph's death, but they sold Jacob's favorite son, a 17-year-old boy, into slavery. And for 23 years, 23 years, absent from his father's care and love, the boy he loved, who he thought was dead, is now alive. He's alive. And, and now they're telling him that Joseph is not only alive, but that he's the most powerful man in all of Egypt. God is calling. At first, Jacob, he didn't know what to believe. I mean, he didn't even know if he could trust his own children. I mean, they had told him that Joseph had been killed and died all those years ago. And now they're telling him that, he, that he's prospered and that he wants them. And then he wants them to come. And he couldn't even trust his own children. But eventually, Jacob begins to believe their story and decides to actually make the journey to Egypt to see Joseph for himself with his own eyes. But something holds him back. Something holds him back. See, the Bible doesn't initially say what the problem was, and if you read it too quickly, you might miss it, but we can clearly see that it drove Jacob to seek God, and in verse 1 we read that he, Jacob, stops at Beersheba before going back to Egypt, and he makes a sacrifice to the Lord. And in that time, we know that as part of a sacrifice, he sought God in prayer and he sought God in worship. And then he waited for the Lord's reply before going to Egypt. Listen, Egypt was hundreds of miles away. That was going to be a very long, a very treacherous journey. Whenever they made a journey like that, there had to be preparations made. And Jacob was about to do it, but something stopped him in his track. I think God's response in verse 3 to Jacob is very telling. See, after calling Jacob's name twice to ensure that he had Jacob's full attention, there are four words, four simple words that reveal Jacob's heart in that moment. And those words are the words to us even this morning. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
I don't know if anybody would care to admit, have you ever been afraid? Do not be afraid. Verse 1 shows us that Jacob was very fearful. In fact, he, he was definitely shaken to the core by this experience. And if you've ever been afraid in your own life, maybe you can relate a little bit. You see, fear is a funny thing. It sometimes can be, uh, uh, have a, a paralyzing property to it. Fear literally kept Jacob from taking his next step in the journey. And fear will often do the very same thing to us. And, and so this morning I have a question for you. What's your worst fear right now? What's your worst fear right now? Think about it for a moment. It might not be anything that you'll ever tell anyone but there's a fear. There's something that you may struggle with that God, if this were to happen, I just don't know if I could handle it. That God, you, you know my heart and you know I love you and you know I've served you, but Lord, I fear that if this were to happen, it would actually shake my faith. I mean, children are sometimes afraid of ghosts. They're sometimes afraid of monsters or zombies. And no matter what you try to tell them uh, that they or try to tell them that they don't exist at night, they will frantically sometimes beg to sleep in your bed or they will cry and cry until you stay with them for a while so that they can safely go to sleep. And it's crazy because in spite of their fear, they will sometimes ask us to watch scary movies in the dark. And as parents, we say no, and they actually get upset with us, wondering why we are so mean. Some of you are trying to remember, it's been a few years since you've had little ones that way. But in those moments, it's like, are you serious? You can't feed your fears like that and not expect to lose sleep or worse yet cause me to lose sleep. And listen, some of you, maybe you haven't told anyone, but some of you are you're maybe afraid of bees or mice, grasshoppers, caterpillars. And just about any kind of insect or rodent, for that matter, people have actually hidden in closets. They have climbed up trees. They have almost driven off the road because of their fear. Some of us have even been called at all kinds of ungodly hours of the day and night to exterminate flying, creeping, crawling things just to alleviate those fears. Any heroes in the house? <laughs> Now listen, I, I'd like to say that my fears are a little bit more sophisticated than that. See, I'm not really afraid of flying insects or, or small crawling rodents, but sometimes I am afraid of failure. Like the fear of failing to meet other people's expectations, the, the fear of making too many mistakes, or the fear of failing to provide for my family, the fear that a sermon I preach won't be any good, or, or that I'll get up here one Sunday and not actually have anything to say. But what are you afraid of? What causes you to stop or slow down in your tracks, to slow down the momentum of your life because fear grips you in that moment? Do you have a, a fear of unemployment? Do you have a fear of heights? Do you have a fear of serious relationships? 
Do you have a fear that your prodigals won't return to the Lord Jesus before his return? Do you have your, a fear that your children are growing up in this dark and crazy world and you don't know what holds tomorrow and you are a hero to them and you are a provider and you are a protector and in those moments all you want to do is protect your children, keep them safe and in this world today you don't know if you'll be able to do it good enough. Perhaps you feel, fear being tricked, trapped, abandoned or forgotten in some way. Well, in 1997, the, the Sunday edition magazine, weekend magazine, USA Weekend, ran a story entitled, Fear, What Are Americans Afraid Of Today? In a scientific poll, the magazine uncovered some things that U.S. residents fear the most, and the poll revealed that a majority of Americans feared being in a car crash. Others feared getting diagnosed with cancer. Half of those surveyed feared not having enough retirement funds. Others feared having too much month left at the end of the money. A third of Americans were afraid of getting Alzheimer's, having food poisoning, being the victim of violence. Of course, the list goes on and on, but I, I really doubt that much has changed over the years. I mean, though we could probably add another COVID-type outbreak that they're already talking about, more lockdowns to come, some domestic terrorism, a random mass shooting. In the meantime, some of you might have a slight fear of failure or rejection or public embarrassment. Sadly, every sunrise brings fresh reasons to fear. Every sunrise brings fresh reasons to fear. And you know who loves that? Satan. The devil loves that. He loves that. If he can keep you in fear, if he can keep you bound up, if he can keep you from doing anything, he will do everything within his power to do that. Listen, some of us can even sympathize with the Peanuts character, Charlie Brown, when he said, I've developed a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. You see, fear, fear is a big bully in the high school hallway, brash, loud, unproductive. For all the noise that fear makes and all the room that it takes, fear does little good. In fact, fear stops progress. It literally will stop you in your tracks, and that's exactly what it did to Jacob. His sons basically said, Dad, let's move to Egypt. Our brother Joseph is alive and well there. Plus, they have lots and lots of food and land to share with us during this famine. But fear said, maybe we should stay puts who knows the dangers that await us in Egypt if we go there and so fear froze Jacob in his tracks it stopped him from moving forward that's what fear will do to all of us if we let it say if if we let it and listen Fear never wrote a symphony or a poem. Fear never negotiated a peace treaty. Fear never cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty, a country out of bigotry. Fear never saved a broken marriage or a business. On the other hand, you know what has done all those things? Courage. Courage has done all of those things. Faith has done those things too. But fear... Fear herds us into a prison and then quickly slams the door shut. It is a tool from the pit of hell. But wouldn't it be great to get out of that cell? 
wouldn't it be wonderful if faith, not fear, was your instinctive response to danger, real or imagined? Listen, God takes our fears seriously and he wants us to overcome them. How many of you know that? He takes your fear seriously. He wants you to overcome them. In fact, the Bible contains no fewer than 366 commands not to be afraid. Fear not. Have courage. That's one for every single day of the year, including leap year. The second most common command to love God and your neighbor appears only eight times. And if quantity is any indicator, Jesus takes fear seriously. And he wants you to overcome it. So how? How do we overcome our fears? God is calling. I believe that the answer to this question lies in God's message to Jacob. Uh, go to verse 3 with me again. Remember in verse 3, God said, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will go with you. Yes, God will go with him, and God will go with us. Over and over in Scripture, God tells us that an awareness of his presence should purge our hearts of fear. Plus, we know that that awareness can fill us up with his strength and with his courage. In Deuteronomy 31, 8, Moses told Joshua, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In Joshua 1.9, God himself repeats the instruction, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Where? Wherever you go. 1 Chronicles 28.20, David said it to his son Solomon, do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Isaiah 43, 5, God said it again to the people of Judah. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Psalm 118, verse 6, even the psalmist knew it and said, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Listen, in my own life, I failed, I've faced some moments where I faced feelings of inadequacy or excuses about why I couldn't do something. They have actually caused me to pause, to freeze, even put things off that I was called to do, and it's a terrible place to be, to be frozen by fear. I recently posted a meme that said, there are people less qualified than you doing things, the very things you want to do, simply because they decided to take action. Let me say that again. There are people less qualified than you doing the things that you want to do simply because they decided to take action. Listen, that's related to fear right there. And so sometimes I pause, sometimes I put things off because of fear, but then when I remember that God is with me, when I remember that God is with me, when I remember that God has called me, I am able to push past my fear. And listen, God helps me through it every single time. And that's the truth. Listen, we don't have little boys at my house anymore. Seth turned 18 this week and I am officially uh, surrounded by young men. It's a new season. 
But I can remember that when they were little, one of my boys, which I will not mention their name, was afraid of the dark, and yet he wanted to play hide-and-go-seek with his big brothers. Oops. So when they hid in the dark closet or a dark room in the house, and he was so little that he could not reach the light switch, he would come and get me to hold his little hand to enter into that dark and scary room. And it was kind of like he was saying, Daddy, I need you to come with me to enter that scary dark closet or room so that I can find my brothers and win. See, in that moment, fear was stopping him from playing the game on his own. But when I held his hand and walked into the room with him, it gave him the courage to overcome his fear and to find his brothers. And today, I want you to hear this from me. God wants to hold your hand. God wants you to realize that with his help, you can do it. You really can. You are not alone. You do not need to fear. He is with you every single moment. See, fear can be paralyzing. But knowing that God is with you and that he will never leave you, wherever you go, he'll never leave. It ought to give our hearts courage and the confidence to do almost anything. You see, Abba Father is on your side. And Daddy God, he, not to be disrespectful, disrespectful but he is your heavenly Father and he wants you to call on him. He wants you to know that you can depend on him. How many of you know that you can depend on God the Father? And listen, Paula knows all about it. Newly divorced, almost penniless, and trying to raise two teenage sons on her own, Paula wrestled with crippling fear. See, for several uh, after several tragedies in her life, Paula had developed severe agoraphobia and was afraid to leave her house. Now, she knew that she needed to support herself and her two sons, obviously, and, and she knew that she loved to cook and felt like God had given her the talent for it. And so Paula began to make sandwiches and other simple foods out of her kitchen to sell and with the help of her two sons she found a few customers but she was so afraid to leave her house she had her two sons deliver sandwiches for her but still Paula was successful her business grew quickly beyond the size of her kitchen and she now faced a big decision. Would she stand still? Would she stop growing? Or would she confront her fears and step outside. Though fear constantly nagged at her, she recognized that cooking was her way up and out of her past, and so Paula boldly decided to confront her agoraphobia that imprisoned her and accept a job as a chef at a local hotel, and once again, she experienced tremendous success. Listen, every single day was a struggle for Paula at first. Every morning, she had to overcome the fear of actually going outside and seeing the light of day and seeing other people. But she relied on God and she trusted in his promises. Eventually, she opened her own restaurant right in the heart of Savannah, Georgia. Quickly, Paula's restaurant became a very huge success and she soon landed her own TV show. She published several uh, cookbooks and even had a movie role that came her way. In fact, Paula Dean became one of America's most successful and accomplished TV chefs 
And it all started out when, say when, she realized that God was with her and that he was greater than the fear that was holding her back. So what's holding you back? What is keeping you from moving forward? Worship team, come. What's holding you back this morning? What is that fear that nobody else knows that may, would maybe keep you from taking a step of faith to what God is calling you to do? You see, regardless of what your fear is, hear this, God is greater. Regardless of what your fear is, God is greater and God is with you. And his words to Jacob and Joshua and Judah are his words to you right now. Do not be afraid, John. Do not be afraid, Sally. Do not be afraid, Mark. Do not be afraid, Brian. In fact, just the same way that the Lord was with them, he's with us right now. See, in the end, Jacob responded in faith instead of fear. He packed his bags. He moved to Egypt. He experienced a heartwarming reunion with his son, Joseph. He lived a long and peaceful life in the land of Egypt. And most importantly, God was with him wherever he went. The same can be true for us. If we learn to trust in God's presence, and power and his plan for our lives. Now listen, we may never become fearless, but we can certainly fear less. Today I want to invite you, I want you to stand to your feet. I want to invite you to take your fears and lay them at the feet of Jesus. And listen, I know, I know this morning that pride may cause you not to respond, that you may not want anyone to know that you have something that you actually fear. But that invitation is yours nonetheless. I believe that when we step out in faith and that when we take action to the things that God is calling us to do, that God will meet us every single time. And if this morning you have a fear in your life, a hidden fear in your life, a hidden worry or concern in your life for your children, for your prodigal, for your grandchildren, for your household, for your future, whatever it is, I believe that God wants you to lay down those fears at the feet of Jesus. See, he stands ready to embrace you. He wants to fill your heart with courage and confidence this morning. And listen, I'm going to ask you to start coming right now that if you want to meet with God this morning, if you want him to search your heart, he is calling you to come. Whatever your fear is, begin to lay it down at the foot of the cross. In the words of E.A. Hoffman, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. We need to lean on him today. See, God is calling you to overcome your fears. God is calling you to trust in his presence in order to walk through this life. And so I'm challenging you right now to answer God's call by faith and let him touch you. God is calling right now. God is calling right now. Worship team's gonna close out in worship. But listen, this is your opportunity. We talked last week about laying down your Isaac. Right now, I'm asking you to lay down your fear. Lay down your fear. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be up here too. 
There are things that I just need to surrender to God. Am I the only one? If I'm the only one, I'm here alone. But if I'm not, come join me. Come join me, whatever your fear is. Come lay it down right now. Move out of your seat. Move out of your seat. He will provide. Move out of your seat. He will make a difference. He sees you. He sees your family.